Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, one and all. This is Robert Rogers, the founder of Parkinson's Recovery in 2004. Parkinson's Recovery is dedicated to identifying options that are helping individuals find ways to reverse the symptoms that are associated with a diagnosis of Parkinson's disease. We have a wide window to consider many, many, many different options that really are helping people make a big difference to the quality of their lives. Hosts, I host individuals on the radio show who come from a wide variety of backgrounds. Some individuals are medical professionals. Other individuals currently experience Parkinson's symptoms and have found ways to address those symptoms. I am honored and pleased to report to you that my guest today is a remarkable man who has been working for the last several years on a documentary that basically lays out everything we know from the research evidence about Parkinson's disease. Now, my guest, Rich Melvin, has um, sent me both of the discs that are preliminary preview kind of discs, not quite yet available for you to see, and I spent a delightful couple of hours, if not longer, on each one, looking at what he has basically summarized in terms of the research that has been done on Parkinson's disease. It is a spectacular documentary I want everyone to know. I have never seen such a comprehensive review of research. So Rich not just focuses on recent research, which is what most academics would do. He goes back into the last century and even the century before. He looks at the origins of Parkinson's research, and you'll be amazed at the discoveries that he's going to be talking about today. So I was dazzled at the work, the comprehensiveness, the technical accuracy of what he has actually produced and what he's going to do today for you is to talk not only about his own experience with Parkinson's symptoms, but he's going to lay out for you what he recommends you might consider in terms of a course of action. So it's my pleasure and honor to thank you, Rich Melvin, for taking the time to be a guest on the radio show today. And I have to do one thing, Rich. I keep forgetting to click you in live. <laughs> there we okay. go. Thank you for being on the show today. <laughs> okay. It's my pleasure, Robert. And uh, with a build-up like that, I hope the interview is half as good as your description of my documentary. <laughs> but, I know it will you know, be, we'll, Rich. <laughs> we'll see. Okay. Well, first of all, let me tell you a little bit about myself. I'm a 54-year-old artist. I'm single, no kids, lived an artist's life, and I have a rather eclectic background. Um, I have academic degrees in business administration, uh, master's degrees in painting and sculpture, and I've done acting and a whole bunch of things through the years. And uh, I'm basically have been a generalist, and this is it's really no surprise to people who know me that I've gone ahead and done something like this. So... So let's get to the nitty-gritty. Um, about five years ago, I started to feel what I called a, a general malaise. It was nonspecific. 
and it lasted several months, and uh, I I just it had it affected nothing on me. I just felt started to feel really bad, and one day like uh, a thunderclap, I started to have uh, chest tremors, um, really stiff back, and anxiety, sleeplessness, depression, and some of these symptoms were during the general malaise. It, it, um, I had weakened neck muscles, um, ED, partial constipation, and depression. I mean, and the thing that really um, was weird is that I lost my sense of smell and I couldn't figure out why my food tasted like nothing. Vinegar was the only thing I could taste. And um, when looking at myself in the mirror, it was very bizarre. Uh, my right eyelid twitched uncontrollably and my right hand started to shake a little bit. And uh, I could look at my chest, and I had tremors, very large tremors. And it was, um, so not being able to see the forest from the trees, I took a capsule of the amino acid tyrosine for the depression. Uh, tyrosine is an amino acid that get, eventually gets converted into dopamine in the brain via a two-step process. I previously took tyrosine for a prior medical condition, which uh, the occasional symptom was depression. And eventually this uh, problem, it was an adrenal problem, got resolved by a doctor who practiced orthomolecular medicine. It was using, he used progressively higher uh, dosages of natural supplements, which include vitamin C, vitamin B5, DHEA, and pregnenolone and other things. And eventually I was tested and found to be not hormonally um, imbalanced anymore because that's what an, an adrenal problem does. You're hormonally imbalanced. So it worked. Well, I, I had a vacation for about a year, and then unfortunately I started to feel ill again, and then I got all those symptoms. And after I took the capsule of tyrosine, um, I slept like I haven't slept for months, and though I still had, could see fasciculations in my stomach, and fasciculations are just like uh, nerves twitching uh, very rapidly. It was like a neurological pinball machine. Um, um, I felt about, oh, 70% better. And, um, you know, most people, tyrosine really isn't used uh, in most cases because of neurodegeneration and um you know, it's uh, because people lack the tyrosine hydroxylase enzyme, which convert, converts tyrosine into levodopa. And um, let's see, I still use tyrosine a little bit, but it's it sort of got me stressed out because it produces a lot of uh, noradrenaline and adrenaline. I mean, you know, if you're getting a lot of adrenaline in your system, yes, you could be stressed out. So I started to use um, uh, levodopa from the mucunipurians plant. And uh, after my next, uh, after I run out of my current cycle of uh, like fish oil, which I take, I'm going to supplement levodopa with EGCG from green tea. Uh, EGCG from green tea is a decarboxylase inhibitor like carbidopa, which is half of levodopa and carbidopa, also known as cinnamet. Um, and the thing is that um, EGCG is not particularly well absorbed. So there's certain things that need to be done to absorb EGCG 
with the uh, levodopa, and one is to be taken with no caffeine. Uh, so drinking green tea with the levodopa wouldn't really help that much. Uh, the EGCG has to be a 94% purity, and it also has to be taken on an empty stomach, like when you wake up in the morning or 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And it has to be taken with 200 milligrams of ascorbic acid and 1,000 milligrams of fatty acids from salmon, which is a very nice cocktail because they're both good for Parkinson's disease. And, of course, um, one of the first supplements that I started to, started to take was uh, DHA and EPA omega-3 because I found, you know, articles about that online, how it offers neuroprotection to the brain. And, well, let's face it, uh, the brain is made mostly of fat, and whether we want to admit it or not, we're all fatheads, you know. <laughs> That's just, a, you know, just the way things are. You know, I, I admit I'm a fathead, you know, it's, People know me will be glad to uh, confirm that at times. <laughs> so I, I went on and I purchased DHA and EPA Omega-3. And the second supplement that I started, and probably the most important one, was coenzyme Q10. I found a study that it slowed the progression of Parkinson's disease at 1,200 milligrams a day. I think the number is about 44%. Uh, the day I started to take CoQ10, my chest fasciculations, the neurological twitching, basically went away. And I felt much more stable and um, much more healthy. I felt my energy levels go up too. Um, the interesting thing about studying the CoQ10 uh, Parkinson studies is that I think they're basically, most of them are flawed or need to be uh, redone. Because, uh, first of all, the study which showed that uh, CoQ10 uh, slowed Parkinson's disease by a rate of about 44%. Um, they used large doses of vitamin E, and a later researcher found that a high dose of vitamin D actually lowers the blood plasma levels of CoQ10. And you could even take like half that amount and you have higher blood plasma levels than taking 1,200 milligrams. So vitamin E should be avoided. Uh, and also... Um, after the age of 40, the body has a more difficult time of com converting ubiquinone to ubiquinol. First of all, uh, both of those words, ubiquinone is the non-reduced form of CoQ10, and ubiquinol is the bioavailable reduced form. It's like the body taking, uh, like a foundry taking uh, iron ore and then crushing it, melting down to get uh, iron. It's like ubiquinol has to be converted, or ubiquinone has to be converted into a ubiquinol, which is much more reduced and stronger. Well, after the age of 40, the body has a tough time uh, doing this conversion. And every single Parkinson study, and I dare say that most of the study applicants were over the age of 40, um, the thing is that they used ubiquinone. So they, someone needs to do a Parkinson study using ubiquinol. And I've never encountered one of them, not one. So hopefully someone listening to this will uh, take the cue and maybe think it's a good idea. What I discovered with CoQ10 was that um, CoQ10 uh, helps to correct mitochondrial dysfunction. And, I mean, if you've done any Parkinson's research, mitochondrial dysfunction is everywhere. And it became obvious to me that that would be the proper way of trying to 
uh, combined supplements which, you know, which can kind of avert mitochondrial dysfunction or correct it and use that as therapy. And some of those um, things that besides CoQ10, you know, vitamin K, uh, Don McCammon mentioned that, N-acetylcysteine, alpha-lipoic acid, and acetyl-L-carnitine all help to correct mitochondrial dysfunction. And I also take ribose. Ribose is the sugar that's used in every cell of the body, and it's uh, very good for Parkinson's. Ribose is used by weight lifter, lifters to build muscle, um, build muscle also. See, it's drink time. Okay. Um, there are several supplements that I got the bright idea of using to try to um, correct mitochondrial dysfunction, which I don't take anymore. And I tried peak ATP because if adenosine triphosphate is um, is deficient in cells of Parkinsonian patients and it helps to cause mitochondrial dysfunction, why not just take peak ATP? Well, it, the, this I did take it with a combination of pyruvate. Pyruvate ester is used again by weightlifters to help build muscle. But the combination of all the other supplements I mentioned with PKTP, PKTP and pyruvate made me shake. I had so much energy I could I could run around the block, you know, as a 52 year old man. But I mean, it was a bit much. You know, you have to know, know when to say when. So I was shaking a bit out of control, and it was like it wasn't uh, Parkinsonian syndrome. It was a syndrome of too much energy. So you can have too much energy. In in terms of the vitamin, one single vitamin that I've made the biggest difference for me, it's a form of v, B12. It's called methylcobalamin. A methylcobalamin, like ubiquinol, which I previously mentioned for CoQ10, is the bioactive form, it's the reduced form of B12. And when I took it, I can only say that the effects were nothing less than astounding. Well, for about, I put it under my tongue and immediately felt energized, and I was running around like a dog chasing its tail for four days. <laughs> and, and it's true. I mean, at work, they thought I was a bionic man. And finally, my energy level calmed down. Uh, to the point where I had a higher energy level than I previously did, and um, and I and I actually surprisingly well slept better. And the reason why I slept better is methylcobalamin. You don't sleep any longer when you take it, but you sleep more solidly because it helps uh, to affect melatonin, which is your sleep hormone. Hormone, which is uh, melatonin, sleep aid is good for Parkinson's too. Um, it's very interesting. Um, other B vitamins I take, which are important, is riboflavin. Uh, ribo, there was a study done where patients, Parkinson's patients, took high-dosage riboflavin, and they quit eating red meat. And, uh, you know, red meat and uh, dairy aren't particularly good for Parkinson's disease patients because they can interfere with the absorption and conversion of levodopa into dopamine because amino acids compete freely with other amino acids. So, you know, you Parkinson's patients mostly have carbohydrate meals for breakfast and lunch and they have protein later at dinner so they can have an effective drug therapy. 
but the combination of riboflavin and quit eating red meat helped to improve the motor capability by uh, 44 to 71%. And riboflavin is not exactly a cheap, I mean, it's cheap. It's very cheap. So, I mean, that was a no-brainer to take uh, to take that one. Uh, one of my, uh, I, the one vitamin I found to be the most interesting vitamin were both forms of niacin, which is vitamin B3. Uh, the first vitamin, which may have interest for Parkinson's disease patients, of course, is NADH. NADH is the coenzyme form of vitamin B3, and it was tested in a very large study uh, with Parkinson's disease patients, and 80% of the patients felt relief. And um, uh, Dr. Um, uh, Berkmeyer, the doctor who did the testing, he should they, he believes the patient should take about 40 milligrams or more. Uh, and NADH uh, helped to improve the uh, condition of the patients from about 10 to 60 percent. That said, the people who had the best response to NADH uh, were early stage Parkinson's patients with the least amount of neuronal dysfunction. Uh, the other form which I find to be the most fascinating vitamin of all time, even more so than vitamin C, is called nicotinamide. Or for for when we buy it at the counter, it's called niacinamide. Scientists call it nicotinamide. We call it niacinamide when we buy it. Uh, Niacinamide, unlike traditional niacin, does not, um, it does not cause flushing like niacin can. And nicotinamide is the precursor to NADH, the coenzyme form. So nicotinamide has to be reduced and converted into NADH, which is basically in every cell of the body. Okay, and the good thing about nicotinamide or niacinamide is that it's been shown to be neuroprotective in Parkinson's disease models, Alzheimer's disease models, Huntington's disease models. And I use it um, about 1.5 grams a day, which is quite safe because 3 grams a day or 3,000 milligrams is the maximum dose of it. Uh, because it's been shown to re- help relieve some arthritis symptoms. And well, my knees aren't quite as good as they used to be. I'll just put it that way. And whatever I can do to lessen the, the pain of them, that, that works. So it does help with uh, reducing some pain. Another uh, interesting... Uh, Rich, Rich, can you yeah. spell those two ingredients that you find are so useful? Uh, N-A-D-H. Uh, for uh, there's a long name. It's like nicotinamide, nicotinamide adenosine nucleotide. It's very long, but NADH. It's hard to miss that one. And okay. the other one, uh, the uh, amide form of niacin is niacinamide. N i a c i n a m i d e niacinamide. And uh, you know it's good for like I said, it's good for arthritis. And so I'm all for that. <laughs> Trying to. <laughs> to uh, you know, aren't we all after a while? But the um, one of the most interesting things I discovered is that we've all heard about the um, using nicotine in Parkinson's disease studies, and that that if you smoke over a long period of years, nicotine will decrease the chances of getting Parkinson's and increasing the chances of about everything else, really. But um, you know, nicotine 
it takes a simple oxidation reaction, just a simple chemical reaction can turn nicotine into nicotinic acid, which is niacin. And so nicotine is structurally related to niacin, niacinamide, and NADH. Very interesting stuff. And a little more about niacinamide later, because what I found out also, which makes it so interesting, is niacinamide has antibiotic-like action. It kills germs. You know, so that's, that's very fascinating. Okay, let's see. I had previously mentioned vitamin C. I'm going to mention it uh, in conjunction with zinc. I discovered zinc after I finished the documentary, so this is virgin ground because I'm a continuous researcher. And let's see, what does this title say? Evidence of Functional Zinc Deficiency in Parkinson's Disease. And they found it in pretty much every person, 100 people. And um, let's see, there was a, um, let's see, there was another study which said uh, patients, um, you know, there was an older study with adults uh, with compromised immune systems in a home. And they gave them a zinc supplement of 30 milligrams a day with a, um, with a multivitamin and helped to boost their immunity. These were non-Parkinsonian patients. And uh, the, the article said 40 milligrams a day may be, can be harmful. And why is zinc and vitamin C so, so important? Well, um, when we get infections, what are some of the things that we're told to take when we get an infection? Zinc and vitamin C. And, well, this is a very interesting headline, Central Nervous System Infections and the Risk of Parkinson's. Uh, Parkinson's patients have a higher prevalence of central nervous system infections of bacteria and viruses than controls. So, and when you um, do have an infection, um, you need to, you know, your body, the zinc in your body gets depleted from fighting the infection. If you have continuous infections, you're continuously going to have low zinc levels. This really struck home to me because my whole life I've been burdened with some form of infection. And because um, I recently was tested for a medical condition that's treated in Europe and it's treated in America for by alternative practitioners and it's called pyroluria, and it's a hemoglobin uh, malfunction which essentially causes zinc depletion and vitamin B6. And I really looked into it because two years ago I had um, an ear infection with a bacteria called Pseudonomus aeruginosa, and then I had about nine months later an infection around my eye which the doctor said, if I didn't get it taken care of, it could cause encephalitis. I'm like, well... (laughs) You know, we're getting that. Yeah, yeah, we're getting that taken care of. And after that, I started looking into into zinc. And more recently, I had the test, and I was borderline pyroluria, so I started to take zinc. And uh, this is a very interesting. The next headline is very interesting. It's a study of ascorbate, which is, of course is vitamin C and zinc responsive Parkinsonism. Uh, it was to report a case of Parkinsonism rapidly responsive to intravenous replacement of vitamin C and zinc because he was found deficient in both. And also there was a case of an 83-year-old man who had actually developed Parkinsonism from scurvy, which is quite interesting. So I take, uh, I take a good amount of vitamin C 
because the obvious, there's a long history of vitamin C and Parkinson's. Um, let's go to another mineral. I have a couple more to go. Uh, the one mineral which I take is I also take selenium in the form of selenomethionine. Uh, selenomethionine is the organic form of selenium. S-E-L-E-N-O-M-E-T-H-I-O-N-I-N-E. And selenomethionine um, has been shown to break up uh, alpha-synuclein, which is the protein which can clog the brains of Parkinson's disease patients. Um, and also, as a man, I have an overriding reason to do it because it's the best mineral for the prostate gland. So, you know, that's a, that's a kind of a no-brainer. Having, having said that, there was one negative study about uh, selenium. It was the impact of selenium, iron, and copper, and zinc in the on-off patients on L-DOPA therapy. Uh, people who had on-off had low levels of zinc, once again, in the cerebral spinal fluid, and high levels of iron and selenium. Iron is a known neurodegenerative uh, toxin in Parkinson's disease, along with manganese. And uh, it's the first time I've ever heard any mention of selenium. Uh, but the thing is that, I mean, selenium is used in uh, and the amino acid management of Parkinson's disease. It was a case study, but done by uh, you know a company called Neuro Research, and they reversed a man's Parkinsonism uh, caused by Paraquat. And that was the a selling point for me of that in the prostate gland. So I do take selenium. Um, and the next mineral is magnesium, and magnesium is a powerful mineral uh, for Parkinson's disease. One of the things I, I, I figured out was that magnesium can be used to help prevent cerebral palsy in, uh, for, for women about ready to give birth for premature babies. They inject women with uh, magnesium sulfate, which is also known as Epsom salts to the rest of us, um, and uh, it helps lower the chances of cerebral palsy. It's neuroprotective and it helps to prevent against preeclampsia, which is high blood pressure in women. So, you know, there's a lot of symptoms which overlap between cerebral palsy and Parkinson's. Cerebral palsy is a non-progressive motor, motor disorder uh, in which, uh, you know, the, the patients may drool. They, they have one, you know, one side of their body. They may drag their foot behind them. Tough, tough time with eating and talking. And I mean, for any late-stage Parkinson's person, some of this sounds very familiar. So I looked into uh, magnesium more, and magnesium sulfate was shown to have an anti-dyskinetic effect. Uh, it, lowers anti it lowers dyskinesia in MPTP lesion monkeys. So it can have an effect. And magnesium was also found to inhibit the spontaneous and iron-induced aggregation of alpha-synuclein. Once again, the protein which can clog the, patient, the brains of Parkinson's and sometimes Alzheimer's disease, and it can lead to mental dementia. In terms of um, memory and learning, uh, the one form of, since I don't have dyskinesias, I'm very fortunate, I'm basically what you call a non-progressor. After I started to take CoQ10, my symptoms were basically just held intact. And I, I can't feel twitching throughout my body which when I'm sitting, which isn't fun, but you know, it's a, it's a lot better than being motor impaired. 
But because of that, the form of magnesium I use is called magnesium L-threonate. Magnesium L-threonate, that's T-H-R-E-O-N-A-T-E, was basically developed to enhance memory and learning. And um, I've been taking it for a while, and I found out in about two or three days that it enhanced my memory. Uh, I was able to recall details better, uh, information, whatnot. You know, so, I mean, I, I give it a big recommendation. I have no idea what effect it would have on people with an actual, who have the movement disorder and, you know, that sort of thing. But it does flood the central nervous system with magnesium, which does have a calming effect. Um, and there, it is being, t- they're getting uh, applicants for a uh, study for, for the enhancement of memory and learning, learning in people with dementia. And which is very important. So, you know, there's some very good things. The other form of magnesium, which I use primarily in foot baths, or it can be used like magnesium sulfate, um, which are Epsom salts in the bath or in a foot bath, it, it comes in a powdered form. It's called magnesium chloride. And I like magnesium chloride because it's shown to reduce heavy metal detoxification. It pulls heavy metals out of, out of you. And, you know, like I was saying, iron, magnesium, copper, uh, lead, they're all associated with some sort of Parkinson's syndrome. And, um, you know, so magnesium chloride is a must. It, it also comes in a liquid form which you can spray on your skin, which is good because some Parkinson's patients have a difficult time swallowing. So you can get a dose of magnesium by spraying it on the skin and it can be a little irritating, so it can be washed off 20 minutes later about. Uh, the final um, mineral I take is iodine. I take it in a very specific form uh, because it, iodine is very, uh, it's very prevalent in brown kelp, uh, which is an algae. They, people call it seaweed. No, it's a kelp, not a seaweed, because it was formed from algae. Um, as um, previously on the show, Don McCammon was interviewed and mentioned that mannitol is in uh, algae, which is brown kelp, uh, to about 20%, 10 to 20% in studies. And the good news is besides having iodine and mannitol in kelp, it also has a substance called fucoidin, F-U-C-O-I-D-A-N. Uh, fucoidin, like mannitol, is a sugar that's found in brown kelp. It's in lower concentrations. It's only 4%, about 4% in brown kelp. But I could see those two being paired together to be a good complementary strategy because people have consumed them together for decades. Uh, Yes, at lower doses, but still it's been consumed, so it's nothing really new to the human body. And um, about 75 milligrams to 300 milligrams daily is recommended for Fucoidin for it to have an impact on the body. Well, see, I'm going to jump ahead to some of the possible causes of Parkinson's, and this is this stuff. I may take some of our listeners into the twilight zone here because we all remember watching the twilight zone growing up. But well, uh, <laughs> getting in the cause, right? Don't we? Uh, we all we all know the causes of Parkinson's. People have theorized about them, but let's hear some of the theories. Of course, we know about about chemicals being to, able to induce Parkinson's. 
uh, in the early 80s, there was MPTP, which is a, a drug that was synthesized in fake heroin, uh, which which caused degeneration in the, in the brain. It caused a bunch of junkies to get a Parkinsonian syndrome. Uh, MPTP is methylphenyl tetrahydropyridine. It's one of those long, you know, long names. But the thing is that there's other schools. Let's let's eliminate the uh, chemicals and let's go to uh, bacteria. In 2012, I read uh, Dr. Lawrence Broxmeyer's book, Parkinson's, Another Look, and he asked, is Parkinson's caused by a bacteria? What Dr. Broxmeyer went about to do was show that there were historic cases of Parkinson's, which people looked at closer, and they found out there was actually tuberculosis meningitis, which can cause a Parkinson-like syndrome. He also found cases TB that had a Parkinson-like syndrome, which basically were either cured or the symptoms nearly went away when they were treated with tuberculosis antibiotics. So, you know, that's very interesting. And he also pointed out the the most recent clinical studies that implicated a TB-like bacteria called nocardia as being implicated in Parkinson's. The thing is that nocardia is related to, to, to tuberculosis because it has a similar cell wall in, uh, to it. it, it um, first of all, mycobacterium tuberculosis. Myco means fungus, fungal in Greek. And uh, they thought for years that nocardia was a fungus, but they found out it's really a bacteria. So we all know the dangers of just fungus alone, but imagine the fungus that which has properties, you know, which a bacteria which has fungal properties, and that's what we're talking about. So let's look at some interesting headlines. Antibiotic rifampicin slows promise, shows promise for Parkinson's disease in laboratory tests. Rifampicin is the number two tuberculosis antibiotic and in numerous studies, it's shown to be neuroprotective in Parkinson's disease studies. And in one study in particular, there were two substances which were shown to decrease the, um, the alpha-synuclein herbicide interaction, which is one reason they think it can cause uh, alpha-synuclein herbicides. And one was rifampicin, the TB antibiotic, and the other one was magnesium. So it's another good reason to um, take magnesium. There's another, uh, there's a second line of tuberculosis called cyclosarine or ceramycin. Uh, and it's shown to be neuroprotective in a glutamate model of Parkinson's disease. Because glutamates can, are very toxic to nerve cells. Their glutamates are present at very low levels to be neurotransmitters. But at high levels, they, they can just fry nerve cells. Let's see. Tuber- Here's another one. Tuberculosis drug PAS may cure Parkinson's-like illness. PAS is a second-line tuberculosis drug uh, called paraaminosalicylic acid or 4-aminosalicylic acid. Uh, PAS in a minor's Parkinson's trial because minors who are exposed to manganese can have Parkinson's-like sy- symptoms, and it's very similar in you know, very similar looking to Parkinson's, except you don't lose your sense of smell. Um, the thing is that they, with one dose of PAS, they basically cured over 60 people, uh, one dose of the drug. 
And there was one case online where a doctor reported that my colleague reported significant improvement in her Parkinson's patients with PAS orally. So there is some evidence to show that it may be good for idiopathic Parkinson's. And what PAS does is PAS is a manganese chelator. Uh, a chelation is basically to grab and hold a mineral or whatever and remove it. So PAS is capable of removing manganese. And they studies have found that if you have high manganese exposure, you have an 80% increased risk of Parkinson's disease. And that's big, 80%. And, um, and where would you be exposed to manganese? Well, previously, gasoline had lead anti-knock additives. And when it was found out that that was very toxic, well, they had the bright idea, let's replace them with manganese anti-knock additives. So whether we want to or not, we've been breathing them in for years. The tuberculosis anti, uh, let's see, the tuberculosis vaccine is called the BCG, the Bacillus Calmet-Geron. It has a live attenuated mycobacterium bovis. Mycobacterium bovis, like the name implies, is from cattle. And yes, it can be transmitted from cattle to humans to cause tuberculosis. And the thing is that they injected an attenuated, very weakened Mycobacterium bovis into mice, and they found out that it was neuroprotective and a rodent model of Parkinson's disease, which is very interesting. There's another... Um, it is an immunomodulator called Freund's Plate Adjuvant. It's emulsified mineral oil in, 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 pardon me, and inactivated and dried mycobacteria, uh, usually mycobacteria and tuberculosis. And it was found to be also reduce inflammation and be neuroprotective in a Parkinson's disease model, which is interesting. Now it gets really strange. Uh, an existing Parkinson's disease drug may fight drug-resistant tuberculosis, and that Parkinson's disease drug is entacapone. Entacapone is primarily used for Parkinson's on-off condition. And in computer models, they found out that it should be, uh, it should attack the uh, mycobacterium tuberculosis bacteria. It should kill it. In the lab dishes, they found out it did. One of the reasons why Parkinson's disease therapy is not so good is because levodopa, the combination of levodopa and carbidopa called cinnamate, is really not that good of a therapy. It stops working between two to five years, and you need bigger and bigger doses to the point where big dyskinesias, you're shaking, etc. Too many side effects. And so there are six drugs that are being developed to replace it. And one of them is called methyl L-dopa or Meliva-dopa. Well, someone had the bright idea to test Meliva-dopa in, in, against various bacteria. And it found out it had a great antibacterial activity against over 400 bacteria, including 53 atypical, which are non-tubercular mycobacteria and drug-resistant tuberculosis. So there's another Parkinson's drug shown to uh, have to be potentially treat tuberculosis. Let's see. What about uh, vitamin C and zinc? Do tuberculosis patients have any relationship to those? 
I have to say yes. Uh, tuberculosis patients were shown to be have uniformly uniformly low levels of zinc, and vitamin C has been shown to kill tuberculosis because TB the bacteria needs iron to reproduce, and vitamin C penetrates its cell and and causes uh, it to oxidize the iron and it kills the bacteria. Well, let's drop back to niacinamide or what scientists call nicotinamide for for a little bit. Nicotinamide, which is quite neuroprotective in Parkinson's disease, um, through the investigation of nicotinamide, they found the number one and the number three tuberculosis antibiotics. The number one antibiotic is isoniazid, and the number three is pyrazinamide. Both of them are analogs of nicotinamide and are structurally related to nicotinamide. They can't be taken with nicotinamide because you would have drug-resistant tuberculosis. One would basically uh, affect the, the drugs and the, it lowers the efficacy very much. The interesting thing is that nicotinamide is also shown to kill MRSA in a lab dish. I mean, we're talking about something which is, a, which is potent antibiotic-like activity without being an antibiotic. And um, it's Let's see. Also, the number one antibiotic, which I mentioned, is isoniazid, is an MAO inhibitor, a weak MAO inhibitor. Well, it just so happens that MAO inhibitors are part and yes, MAO inhibitors are therapy for uh, Parkinson's disease, including um, you know Depranil, which is selegiline or rosagiline. And MAO inhibitors were originally developed to treat tuberculosis. And just to wrap it up here, uh, Parkinson's is genetically related to tuberculosis, leprosy, which are two mycobacterial diseases, and Crohn's. And Crohn's, the most uh, implicated pathogen in Crohn's is a, is a mycobacterium, which is called also paratuberculosis. And there are several uh, headlines which are recent. M. paratuberculosis and Parkinson's disease, is this a trigger? The same scientist wrote an article, Parkinson's, just, in the, just another infectious disease. And there, there's lots more. There's another bacteria, which is lycnocardia, and related to tuberculosis, which has produced Parkinson's disease in mice, and then they were treated with levodopa. So it just goes on and on. I mean, and there's other bacteria, too. Lipopolysaccharide salmonella-caused uh, uh, Parkinson, Parkinsonism in a lab assistant, Helicobacter pylori, which people may need to get looked for because it's a prevalent stomach uh, bacteria. It can in, inhibit the absorption of levodopa, and you have a greater chance of having a worse case of uh, Parkinson's if you have a Helicobacter pylori infection in the stomach. Of course, there's Lyme disease, which can imitate Parkinson's and over 300 different diseases. So, I mean, and the, the real problem with Lyme disease is that the test is only about 40, the tests are only 46% effective, which is sad. Uh, so you, they may say you don't have it, you could possibly have it. Well, now I have a, a fun fact that Robert and many of the listeners may find interesting. Previously, you had Don McCammon on as a guest. And I listened very, you know, raptly, very interesting and then I did a, a very simple search. Does 
mannitol have any antimicrobacterial activity? And gee, gee whiz, yes, it does. The synthesis and antimicrobacterial evaluation of D-mannitol derivatives. And they tested it, and they found out that, yes, it does have antimicrobacterial activity against a very virulent strain of tuberculosis. And they're going to, you know, it, to see, thus they could be a good starting point to develop new lead compounds against multi-drug resistant tuberculosis. And they also found that um, is very good for preventing liver damage for tuberculosis drugs, which are, which are very toxic. And it also is helpful for relieving management of, of edema in the brains of tuberculosis meningitis patients. So it just goes on and on. This is my surprise, Robert. <laughs> I don't uh. know what you think, but you you did a whole program on something which um, I didn't realize was an anti-TB, but yes, it's being tested to work on tuberculosis. Well, how fascinating, Rich. Yes, and and there's one last thing I would like to say about pathogens is that the um, they're also testing viruses. Uh, in terms of Parkinson's, and viruses have a, a little higher vault to jump over. Um, and the reason why is because uh, viruses have been shown to increase, to weaken the immune system, to increase the risk of Parkinson's. Um, so it's like one hit will, you know, weaken the immune system, and then another hit may lead it open to getting Parkinson's. But the thing is, there's never, really never been any cases of a permanent Parkinson's syndrome be initiated by like an Epstein-Barr infection. They're transient Parkinson's-like states. So that's, that's, and I hope they find more and more linkage with viruses. But the heavy hitters right now, the information is very deep about bacteria because it can directly cause Parkinson's. So if you, if you have any questions, please, please go for it. Rich, are there any supplements that are related to mitochondrial dysfunction that you tried, you experimented with, but stopped using for whatever reason? Okay, I think I touched on that, and I went through and just plowed through everything. And uh, the the ones that I I, I mentioned uh, were, were ribose, or were, pardon, not ribose, were, um, let's see, were peak ATP. I think I mentioned that. Um, and uh, the other was pyruvate because they made me shake funny, very not in a funny manner, really. I wasn't laughing right. very much. <laughs> right, but, exactly. Uh, but I, I was uh, really, really shaky, and, I mean, if I didn't take all the other things, I think it, they might be able to work, but it was just too much. It was just I was, I was running around like a crazy person, shaking, and it was like, you know, they had to go. It took me about a day to get off of them and I returned to normal. Uh, the one thing that peak ATP does, and I'm glad you asked that question, is it also increases uric acid levels, which have been shown to be uh, low in Parkinson's disease patients. And the Michael J. Fox Foundation uh, tested a supplement called inosine, which uh, raises uric acid levels. And it, um, it passed the bar of non-futility. That's a big scientific word, just meaning it worked. And uh, But the thing is that no one's really going to test it any further because there's no money to be made off of it. Uh, as any of us know that, um, you know, it's about money and 
each drug that gets uh, developed for Parkinson's has to go through two preclinical and five clinical phases. And the combination thereof costs between $200 million and $2 billion. And, I mean, who's going to develop a, a new form of magnesium for $2 billion to develop it at, uh, to pay to get $30 a month for it? It's not going to happen. So that's one of the uh, barriers of, um, uh, you know, drug development, cost and reward. Right. One of the substances that you refer to is one that I think a lot of listeners are probably unfamiliar with, methylcobalamin. Can yes. you, first of yes. all, spell that? Can you spell it for people? Okay, okay sure. It's M-E-T-H-Y-L-C-O-B-A-L-A-M-I-N, methylcobalamin, because and basically... Go for it. I was going to just ask, can people acquire that at a health food supplement store? Yes, yes. Um, methylcobalamin can be easily it, it purchased in a health food store, um, and it comes in doses like 2.5, or gram, uh, let's see, grams, or, let's see, 2.5 to 5 milligrams. I'm, I'm off with my dosages here. Um but the thing is that it's a real energy-inducing um, uh, vitamin shown to relieve peripheral neuropathy in, in diabetes patients and help help to repair nerve cells. And it's the only form of B12 which exists in the human brain. So, I mean, if it's not a reason to take it, I don't know what is. <laughs> really? You know, really. Uh, but, yeah, methylcobalamin, it was a big energy booster, and I was just running around like a maniac. It was amazing. I've never experienced anything like it. And fortunately, like I said, you actually got to sleep better. So that's that's a that's a big plus. Really? Well, yes. can you summarize? You've done all this incredible research, and you're taking uh, this array of supplements that obviously are making a difference Describe for folks the symptoms that you currently experience. Okay, well, I'm basically in a, um, I'm a non-progressor. I think uh, uh, someone mentioned that phrase earlier in a, in a show, I can't remember who, um, but the symptoms that I feel right now are just twitching. I, uh, I mean, I don't have any real movement that's being, uh, affected by the by the uh, by the disease, but I, I when I sit down and I'm not doing anything, which I don't like to do, I can feel twitching through primarily through my left arm and some of my legs. I can feel neurological twitching, which I didn't previously experience. Fortunately, my sense of smell recovered and food tastes normal, and um, and and most of that happened after I started taking the CoQ10. And um, and then the one good thing that I found out is by discovering these supplements slowly and over time uh, that that when you take one supplement at a time, not multiple supplements, you can feel if there's any difference in your body. If you take more than one thing at a time, who's to, who's to know what's the most effective thing? So this stretched out over years, and I could gently feel what worked and what didn't work in terms of, like, PKPP and pyruvate. They were done separately. I knew to quit them immediately. So what 
brand of CoQ10 do you purchase and use for yourself? Well, I'm I'm kind of a broke artist, and it's not really even a brand name. Most of the CoQ10 is made in Japan and shipped worldwide. Um, I just take uh, a generic form of CoQ10, but when I take it, I, I take it uh, early in the day, I take it with piperine. It's an alkaloid from black and long peppers. Piperine has been shown to be a bioavailability enhancer, and it enhances the absorption of any CoQ10 by 30%. And with other things, it has shown to affect drugs and supplements to the tune of either thir- about 30 to 2,000% which is fine if you're not taking any drugs, but let's just say you're taking an antihypertensive, which uh, you want to lower your blood pressure, and then you take something which potentiates its effect. I mean, that could be a very dangerous situation. Um, But fortunately, I'm not on any drugs. But yes, I take generic CoQ10s, ubiquinone, and I'm still having a positive response to it. So, but if I feel that my condition gets more twitchy and I can feel more secondary, you know, symptoms, I'm going to ubiquinol. Definitely. Now, some of the in- individuals listening to this incredible description of the research on Parkinson's have really just been diagnosed uh, mm. within the last month or two. What would you want to say to them right now? Well, the first thing I would say, it's very, very simple. It doesn't matter if you go to an alternative practitioner or a regular medical doctor. It's three words, exercise, exercise, exercise. Every study has shown that exercise slows the progression of Parkinson's disease, Uh, like weightlifting, which I used to do when I was a younger person because I was an athlete. Um, Weightlifting lowers your risk of Parkinson's by 40%. And it's very good for the disease. Uh, Bicycling is good for Parkinson's. Fast walking is good for Parkinson's. If you can swim, swim. Just That's one of the most important things you can do. And, of course, secondly, we are what we eat. Uh, You know, they've done studies on food and Parkinson's and the conventional-style diet with heavy meat and cheeses is not very good for Parkinson's patients a more lighter style diet like the Mediterranean diet, which has been highlighted so often, which is higher in vegetables, grains, and fish. You know, it's very light. It has moderate wine drinking and um, and garlic and et cetera. And if you, if you analyze the Mediterranean diet, what supplements make it neuroprotective? Well, first of all, extra virgin olive oil and olive leaves have a substance called oleuropin. Oleuropin is part of any olive leaf extract. Oleuropin is shown to be neuroprotective in Parkinson's disease models. Um, what else is in the Mediterranean-style diet? Well, resveratrol from wine. Resveratrol, another neuroprotective agent. What else? In garlic, there's a substance called allicin. Allicin is neuroprotective in Parkinson's disease. What else do they have? It has high in DHA and EPA omega-3s because it's a fish-oriented diet. So, I mean, if you look at the Mediterranean diet, that's definitely the way to go. 
Now, you have been working now for several years on this uh, incredible documentary. When do you uh, predict this might be available for people to actually acquire? Well, I I hope you're like Karnak from Johnny Carson or something, because right now I can't tell you. If I had to guess, a wild guess, I would probably say perhaps – uh, six months or so because, I mean, I'm I, I'm so detailed, slightly OCD here, and uh, there's over 600 scientific references in it, and I still have one book which I need approval to put the information uh, in to be shown in public, and so I'm about halfway through the 300, uh, the, you know, 300 credits to go, and it's just like, geez, you know, so... <laughs> It's a daunting. Uh, let me put it this way: When I finish and it becomes available, I'll let you know. How's that? Oh, fantastic! <laughs> and we will put that information out. Rich Melvin's website is www.richardmelvin.com. So I'll spell that for everyone: R I C H A R D M E. L V I N dot C O M. And you have several amazing pieces of art that you've also uh, developed here just recently. Can you tell people about those? Well, yes. The um, one thing about olfactory function, when I lost my sense of smell, I used to go out on walks, and the walks seemed very sterile. I mean, Parkinson's disease is known to be an anhedonic state, a state without pleasure. I mean, let's face it, your food doesn't taste like it used to. Um, It disrupts your sex life. You can't smell things. Um, You know, your quality of life, unfortunately, uh, goes downhill. And I used to, when I went out on walks, I found that I couldn't appreciate the trees and the shrubs and the herbs. So... I did several paintings uh, which uh, reflected my knowledge of the lack of olfactory function or losing the sense of smell, and I equated that with an achromatic painting, a painting without color, because I really believe that your sense of smell is something we take so for granted that we just, you know, even more than sight or hearing, you know, that that when I lost it, everything seemed like it was a black and white film. And uh, only when I started to regain it did I realize how much of that, your your sense of smell is is so powerful and you just, it's amazing how you feel when you miss it. But yes, the loss of a sense of smell was, I considered it to be an anhedonic state without pleasure. And the two paintings I did were two trees which I just used as symbols of of the loss of sense of smell. So they were very muted color schemes. And that for me, that's different because I'm, a, I'm primarily a colorist. I do brightly colored uh, paintings, not fluorescent, anything like that. But I, I'm not afraid to use color, and they were very reduced to the point where I almost used no paint, no color. Wow. Now, Rich Melvin, if people want to get in touch with you and have some follow-up questions they'd like to be able to sure. address, how might they be able to do that? Oh, you can go right through my website. And uh, thank you for the shameless promotion moment too. Um, <laughs> it's uh, you, Richard 
mcmelvin.com. You can go right through the website and uh, contact me. It's in under the contact the artist, uh, contact Rich, whatever it is. It's at the top of the page. Now, you have shared such amazing insights, and I can tell you for sure that people have listened to some of these suggestions, have never really thought about these as options before. If there's a bottom line you want people to remember about this discussion, one kind of thing you want people to remember after listening to this radio show interview, what would it be? Try to have a focused therapy. Because there are smaller companies out there. Uh, I mentioned Neuro Research and their case study, Amino Acid Management, and they reversed Parkinson's by doing a very specific goal, uh, and that's uh, balancing serotonin and dopamine and other things, but they reversed the man's Parkinson's. And I have met other people online who are on the protocol, and it is reversing their Parkinson's. Not curing, reversing is a big difference. When you have to continuously take therapy, it's not a cure, but it makes them functional. In another, in another uh, company out there called the BX Protocols, they're reversing Parkinson's by correcting mitochondrial dysfunction. They're using very, I don't know what supplements they're using, I can guess, but they're using very specific supplements. And there, there are uh, YouTube videos from the BX protocols showing before and after and the people talking about their experience about reversing mitochondrial dysfunction. What I'm saying is that you just can't throw sup- a random amount of supplements and expect to have a result. There's got to be a goal or some physical result which are in the uh, crosshairs of the supplementation. Mitochondrial dysfunction, relieving specific deficiencies, that sort of thing. Richard Melvin, I want to, on behalf of the many thousands of listeners of Parkinson's Recovery Radio, thank you for the incredible work that you have done over these last few years and for your openness and willingness to share your insights for people who are also experiencing symptoms of Parkinson's disease. Yes, I, I'm glad to do it because I, I understand um, I understand where they're at. And one of the things that I did not mention also is my father has Parkinson's. I forgot to mention that. Hi, Dad. Love you. Um, but the thing is that I, the reason why I went to just do what I did with an alternative, uh, alternatives was my, I saw my father's therapy. I may have mentioned that. I don't know. But that was, that was the defining moment. I just couldn't do it. Right. So, I, so, go ahead, please. You decided to take another route then. Absolutely. Well, I'd like to thank everyone for listening. And um, you know, like, like Robert says, if you have any questions or comments, just go through my website and you know, I'll be happy to converse with you. And we will be sure and announce when Rich Melton ha- Melvin has his uh, final issue of his documentary, for release, uh, which I know all of you will want to get a copy of. Rich Melton, thank you so much uh, from the bottom of my heart for being on the radio show today. Well, it's my pleasure, and uh, thank you very much, and enjoy the beautiful day. (laughs) Well, we thank you. And that's what's happening on the shores of the Puget Sound, where all the women are smart, all the men are handsome, 
and all the children are truly loved. I'm Robert Rogers, the founder of Parkinson's Recovery, which is dedicated to providing support information and resources to individuals who currently experience the symptoms of Parkinson's disease. May you have a most magnificent week this coming week. Good day. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.